Thanks for joining us inside the Dancer's Studio, where we bring listeners like you closer to the creative process. Inside the Dancer's Studio is a program of the National Center for Choreography at the University of Akron. This episode was recorded in the presence of a live audience in June of 2022 during the inaugural Creative Administration Research Summit convening in Akron, Ohio. Today, we are excited to share an excerpt of the opening plenary titled Artist as Model for the New Socioeconomic Normal. In this portion of the session, Christy Bolingbroke, our Executive Artistic Director, is in conversation with Washington, D.C.-based performer, poet, director, and arts administrator, Mark Bamuti-Joseph. Bamuti is a 2017 TED Global Fellow, an inaugural recipient of the Guggenheim Social Practice Initiative, and an honoree in the United States Rockefeller Fellowship. While engaging in a deeply fulfilling and successful artistic career, Bamuti also proudly serves as Vice President and Artistic Director of Social Impact at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington, D.C. He is in high demand for his creative approach to organizational design, brand development, and community mediation, and has been enlisted as a strategic partner or consultant for companies ranging from Coca-Cola to Carnegie Hall. Bamuti is the founding program director for the exemplary nonprofit Youth Speaks and is a co-founder of Life is Living, a national series of one-day festivals which activate under-resourced parks and affirm peaceful urban life. This work is hard, mm-hmm. right? But we do hard things yeah. as artists all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we often make it look easy. Mm-hmm. So I think another big part of CAR has been like, how do you visibilize this work? Mm. And especially when you have like a big institution like the Kennedy Center or mm-hmm. some of our other cultural organizations that, that just seem to happen. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate hearing um, where you were, the statement that you were making in July 2020, mm-hmm. and then some of the work that you've been able to do inside of that big institution since then. Right. I'm curious from your perspective, were there any surprises, things that were easier or things that were harder and you're still working on? I'll give you a optimistic, pessimistic, you know, sort of choose your own adventure there. Uh, cool. It, it's all hard. It's just, I, I think it's a matter of fatigue mm-hmm. or, or not. Like when we feel more um, able in our bodies and in our spirits. That to me is what fluctuates the most, Mm. I would say. Um, I'm really fortunate that um, I, my administrative practice is in coincidence and a part of my creative practice. So I'm able to show um, an opera initiative within the context of um, the Kennedy Center and also share an opera that I'm writing. And those kind of co-aligned practices uh, give me strength. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it it sounds also kind of like an individual symbiosis. Um, You know, the I think sometimes when we offer this this idea of the binary, you're an artist or you're an administrator, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of fatigue in in our smaller uh, art, you know, project based artists, single artists who are like. 
it, you, you feel the stretch in your bodies of trying to do both, mm -hmm. but it sounds like you found some sort of, yeah, because there are certain, there are certain questions that I can ask, um, while making a dance or while making, um, a song or while making a play that the institution doesn't have the wherewithal to ask. And there are levers of power of finance and of access that, um, are present within the institution that, I as an individual or the, you know, band of artists that I roll with aren't able to, to pull off. So it, it's definitely a unique situation. Um, but what I, what I advocate for is, um, that kind of relationship to be more entrenched in our fieldwide practices that, you know, when I talk about the deployment of artist intellect, Maybe it's within an administrative capacity, but um, what I would like to see is more presenting institutions deploying artists' intellect to produce these no, new currencies um, that also exist within the, the framework of like the cost of doing business or the, the programmatic output. 150%. And follow-up question, one thing that I was holding was what advice would you have for any artists who are not inside of an institution. Mm -hmm. And and certainly from my experience, hearing just so many of them who are like, artists are futurists. Sure. They have the ideas, yep. but they still feel like they can't cross the threshold mm -hmm. and get decision makers on board, yeah. whether they're funders or presenting institutions or their local civic mm -hmm. institutions. Mm -hmm. And you did not start at the Kennedy Center. You no. have a whole other repertoire of experience. So I'm curious uh, what kind of advice you would offer uh, smaller project-based single artists who feel that they are holding up the whole world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, man, the, the, none of this is, none of this is uh, an obligation. We can walk away at any moment. The problem is all of this is for most of us, a spiritual and energetic calling and thus it is an obligation. So, um, you know, if, you know, so many of us are so bright in so many different areas and we could do pretty much whatever the fuck we wanted. Um, but we choose and we have been chosen. So, a kind of grounding in that and a grounding in the responsibility that comes as a response to ancestry, I think is really critically important. Um, so the, the first piece of, I don't know, advice, wisdom, truth, or just kind of personal um, perspective is um, to identify where you are grounded in your journey. Um, because most of the things that we seek are not possible in our lifetimes. And that's the thing of our, um, that's just kind of like the deal fam. Um, so what I'd like to advocate for is the adjacent possible. And, and what I mean by that, I, I take this from, um, this cat, Steven Johnson, he wrote this book called, um, where good ideas come from. And in the book, he talks about, um, a kind of relationship between technological evolution and the evolution of the natural world. 
There, there are certain things that have happened as the natural world has evolved that have, um, are, are then mimicked in a kind of practice of innovation. Um, so for instance, all the materials that were necessary, all the kind of like, um, uh, atomical molecular submolecular material needed to make this building all present at the big bang, but you couldn't go from the big bang to this build, you know, to this building. There had to be all these other things in between. There was an adjacent possible. So what's the adjacent possible in our cultural vision? And um, if there is a generational and transformational vision, um, the thing that we're working on is the adjacent possible that scaffolds us to um, that social vision. I started, you know, Christy references and we go back a few years you know, 15 years or more, uh, we were both in the Bay Area uh, at a time. Um, I went to Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. I um, left uh, Atlanta and moved to the Bay Area. Uh, I taught 10th grade English and West African dance. I had no business teaching West African dance. <laughs> but I ain't know, and they ain't know either. So, you know, English was cool though. I, you know what I'm saying? I'd read a book. Um, the, um, the, there was this young man, this 16 year old kid, um, Biko Eisen Martin, who is now, uh, he's, he's performing at, um, Manhattan theater right now at MTC right now. Um, you know, he's 16, he's like a, a sophomore in high school. And, uh, he heard me read this poem and he spit a poem back to me and, Man, we thought we were the only poets. You, you know what I mean? Like we didn't, we were alone in this uh, in this school. This is the you know the late '90s, you know, and um, that relationship flourished and became over time through a, a number of adjacencies um, became an organization called Youth Speaks, which produced um, Brave New Voices, which is. Um, uh, the the national um, youth poetry um, festival, Brave New Voices, launched um, uh, the National Youth Poet Laureate um, program, which has been newly famous by Miss Amanda Gorman. Um, but when I think about, you know, 25 years ago, doing a poem in a schoolyard and a 16-year-old kid responding, and I make the leap from that poem to Amanda Gorman's poem on the occasion of Joe Biden's inauguration. And I think about everything that was made possible by one act. I, I, that also would be my advice is to push and um, to watch gravity, watch gravity work. Watch the physics of your vision go to work. I love that reminder uh, as well. You know, if artists are also futurists, I like to say arts administrators are time travelers. Yeah. Because uh, sometimes you're working on that grant report, even though you did the work 18 months ago, um, but that's when the deadline is. Mm. And 
trying to repurpose some of those institutional deadlines. But one of our car practices for many that have been in investigative retreats is what one of our, our first NCC Akron graduate assistants, Demarcus Akeem Suggs, uh, informed me. He said, oh, you're doing Sankofa. Mm. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now I'm happy to name it. Mm. And this idea of acknowledging the gravity, acknowledging the you know step by step accomplishments, mm -hmm. that it the bing bing didn't happen, and then you were just mm -hmm. an entity over mm -hmm. time, and encouraging us to revisit that exercise uh, as a part of it's not just what's your next project. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I I. I answered your question in a kind of like macro um, energetic way. Um, but it's also very tactical. And I think I just want to point that out as well is there's um, it's very hard to convince people of a vision that they themselves cannot see. That's the, that's the hard part about being a, you know, a creative visionary. Well, and even <laughs> if it's what you're trying to do moving forward, yeah. mm -hmm. but what I think we've learned from that practice just in our investigative retreats is, th you know, that you're carrying all that experience, yeah. mm -hmm. but all they see is whatever the latest thing is that you're doing. Right. So how are you, f you know, perpetuating the story? Mm -hmm. You don't have to tell them everything from day one. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the second day we did this, yeah. but... But you know, finding that space to be reflective, to be able to to shape it. Yeah. The other benefit over time that I don't think is a new challenge in the field, but I feel that you've also uh, you know hinted at or acknowledged in your answer, is the interpersonal. Mm -hmm. And and what was in your presentation was the idea of the ind individual, mm -hmm. the, py the pyramid of readiness. Mm -hmm. um, but the individual is, is one of four or one of 400 individuals that make up an organization yep. or an institution. Yep. And, and then like a COVID virus, mm -hmm. what is the contact mm -hmm. reach? Mm -hmm. What is the potential spread? Yeah. Um, can we reclaim that to think about all the students and the people that you have touched over time that you don't know when they might come back and do it again? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm hearing a lot of that um, uh, uh, tenseness, I'm going to try that word on, mm -hmm. uh, between the individual and the organization, mm -hmm. and then all the individuals in our field. Mm -hmm. I am curious if you could talk more about embodying the practice of this work. Yeah. Um, we, we know how to take care of the facility as mm -hmm. performers mm -hmm. and, and what that practice means, mm -hmm. whether it's stretching the muscle groups and mm -hmm. building cardiovascular endurance. Mm -hmm. You mentioned fatigue. Yeah. That's emotional <laughs> endurance and yeah. mental endurance. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious whether it's for you on an individual level or as a leader of a, of a team, your department or peer-to-peer mm -hmm. -peer across the organization, mm -hmm. do you have any practices to, for embodying this work and, and building up that kind of endurance? Survival, how to, how to survive. Um, I, I have to say that the, these two things really feed each other for me. Um, I am in love and partnership sustains me. Uh, my kid is super cool and fatherhood sustains me. 
Um, I am awakening to my new body, to my 40, almost 47 year old body. And um, yeah, the, the healthy relationship of spirit to emotion to body, I, I think is, um, is really important in terms of um, long-term sustainability. But there isn't like, I wake up at 7.30 and this happens. I'm not um, ritualistic in that way. Um, I also make sure to play a lot of words with friends and, you know, to watch the Warriors. Okay, so sidebar. <laughs> they put me, they put, wait, hold, James hometown. they put me in a room that had a Bay Area, um, uh, area code. And I was like, oh yeah, we got this. No doubt. We, I'm in the look. Lies. <laughs> um, but that's also, I think, a, a really important part of just like general health, man. It's like you just right. got to, you know, dubs and six. You just got to like yeah. really <laughs> thank you. I know somebody understands you. You really have to lean into all the things that are not um, the world on Atlas's um, shoulders. I, I, I think um, this is all very serious work. It's a serious pursuit. But, you know, the way that I define um, uh, social impact at the Kennedy Center is that it's a it's a systems based practice that centers joy um, towards art uh, it, uh, by using arts for non arts outcomes, and that centering of joy is uh, incredibly important. Um, having language for me is also just a really important practice. What what I would say is. Um, the kind of generation of new language, so long as it's not super opaque, is really important in this work. And um, like I, I try to use phrases like currencies of redemption or currencies of reconciliation, because what I don't want is for um, the folks that we work with to become complacent because it's like, oh, I know that language, I know that vocabulary, and we just kind of write it off, this, this is what it is. So part of staying healthy is also um, making sure that your partners are not complacent. And uh, all that is tenuous, it is arduous, but again, it's what we're called to do. I have one more question for you, which is all of your note that we'll be turning to broaden the conversation and hear from you as well. So. Christy, you'll get the mic. Um, and this is something that we uh, ask in our Inside the Dancers studio interview and podcast series. Um, whether as an artist, as a leader, um, we are somewhat conditioned to uh, be reactive to the deadlines. Yeah. Nothing, nothing like a deadline. Right. Um, and what do you do when you're in a rut, when the flow is not happening? Um, you know, any practices there? Uh, breathe through the depression of that. I don't know what else to say. There's the, there's the, I'm, I am so thankful for deadlines because my way of creating is to think about the thing until the deadline. And then like, I'm, 
I'm the person that gets the thing in at 11:59 p.m. Like that's that's me. So, um, but we have to be tender with ourselves. I think we have to be gentle with ourselves along the way. For some folks, that is part of the process, but um, there are probably other ways of going about creation than to be um, so self-critical as to paralyze uh, creative thought. I appreciate the reminder to be tender. I've been in some conversations, you know, with, with a lot of leaders who, who, um, you know, dealing with the, the last two years, the crisis management, not feeling that they were up to the task emotionally, physically, mentally, um, and identified that one of our other practices, in addition to working to deadlines, was was to push to collapse. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna work as hard as I can and then go on vacation and totally unplug. Yeah, which wasn't necessarily regenerative. Yeah, um, and so the idea that to be tender with yourself is an action, is a practice. It's it's not um, giving up. It's not you know just sort of releasing yourself. Yeah, I'm, part of that for me is um, reading for pleasure, and um, committing for me committing to finish a book a month. Like I read the internet all the time, so I'm reading, but I uh, I don't think I like finished a book in 2021. Like I read a lot in 2020. I don't think I finished a book in 2021. I think I just read the internet a lot. I started a lot. So, um, kind of being in relationship with alternate fictions is another practice. I think that, you know, might catalyze, um, something inspired, but it's also just being in relationship and sustained relationship with literature. I find to be a kind of um, stage and ground for, uh, for my own creative practice. Because the thing is you, um, as a reader, the way that I love to read is with a pencil and I'm having a conversation with the author in the margins. Maybe that's the same conversation that happens in the notes on your phone or, you know, in some, some other space, but there's a kind of, um, reciprocity that's possible, I think, with um, inside of reading for pleasure um, that often yields a different kind of um, creative result for me. So maybe that I would just put that out there. Next time you come to Akron, we will go to Elizabeth's bookshop. So, all right. I love being, I got a library card. (laughs) You got a library card. I did. I did. Yeah. That that sounds like residency right there. Yeah, I'm here. You got a library card here. here. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Christy has the microphone. What questions, comments do you have? Oh, right up front here. Uh, thank you so much. I just have a, uh, a, a, a brief question about, um, okay. I think it's brief. Okay. Let's see. Uh, the, uh, the, I'm thinking about dignity, you know, what you started out with, uh, and thinking about that relationship between healing and sickness that you also, you know, you started out with in the beginning and it feels like there's the um the the healing as a journey in relationship to that 
illness, you know, and maybe I, the, the way that I'm looking at it is the potential, and I don't know if you're making this relationship, but of dignity on the other side of that once there's that, that kind of boundness not to have to deal with any more than there's dignity. But I'm just wondering how you, what, what's inside of that term for you? Because I resonate with that notion of, um, uh, inventing new languages, yeah. inventing new it, it, ways to deal with words, ways to to be with them. And you brought in like, and also you brought in the Big Bang and gravity and resources, you know, like the uh, 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 being in relationship to resources and how that relates us to one another. And I'm just wondering if there's um, in that conception, the way that you're dealing with dignity, if there's planet in there, if there's universe in there, what that has to do with it, if it does. Um, thank you for the question. It, it has a little less to do, I think, with a, a kind of cosmology as it does with the United States. Um, the Kennedy Center is a performing arts center. It's, um, it, it also is a living memorial to the 35th president of the United States. So it has a federal um, adjacency. And, you know, within the bureaucracy of the federal government, there isn't a whole lot of room for futurity or whatever the hell I've been talking about. Like, there's just not a whole lot of room for all that. There um, isn't a line item for futurity? There, is, there isn't a line item. <laughs> no. But, um, but there are constitutional principles. And we're kind of in this space where, like, um, constitutional principles aren't enough. But it's a framework. Um, I was born and raised in Queens. I went to school in Atlanta. I lived in Oakland for 25 years. I don't like, I'm not like, I'm a first generation American. My, my parents are from Haiti. I'm not like America rah-rah. But being in DC, there are lots of reminders of the promise. And there's this kid in Detroit named Jamaria Hall. Um, a few years ago, he sued the state of Michigan. Um, he and a bunch of other kids from Detroit's worst performing arts school, uh, uh, worst public high schools, sued the state of Michigan because they claimed that their 14th Amendment rights were being violated, that they had a right to literacy under the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. That shit broke me open because, you know, we're just a few generations from literacy even being legal for people that look like you and me. So the idea that to have access to the American franchise means that you have to have access to letters, really deep. So then what else do we have a right to? You know, like, do we have a right to clean water? Do we have a right to clean air? Within the context of this country, what, what, is, what are our basic rights? And to me, dignity is not a lot to ask for. It is um, so basic. And so like, when you say to an institution, you know, I want 45% of the board to look like this, or I want 39% of programming to look like this, or I want 98%, of, that's a little harder I think that maybe saying, let's work on dignity for all people. It's, it's very hard to be on the other side of that moral line or to justify it. And to your, 
your question, yeah, dignity is a line item, even if futurity isn't. Futurity is the way that you get there. So that's a, a lot of it is that a lot of it is like just basic and emotional and trying to tie like if if the magic of art is kind of something that lives on a y axis and the structure to run an organization or an operation runs on the x axis what are the things that connect it to and i think systems connect it to so i try to use these magic words like forgiveness or public healing or inspiration or dignity and i connect those magic words that come from my arts practice to the structural design and that to me is design infrastructure thank you juma um that's reminding me of an experience working with a marketing firm that their feedback to the organization that will remain nameless right now but i'll talk to anyone afterwards was you keep talking about your assets we're a school, we're a company, we're a theater. And that actually they, their point this for-profit marketing firm was they were looking for the inspiration. Yeah. They were looking for the dignity. They were looking for forgiveness. And I think that's a great reminder for all of us cuz so often times especially if you are jumping from project to project, how many times do we start saying I'm making this work, it's about this. Yeah. instead of of you know I'm I'm working in magic. Yeah. Okay, wait, that invites me to tell me more. And 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 asking for the inquiry. So, I appreciate just trying this on. All right. The inspiration no doubt happened. But now you just broke us down and how are we going to put ourselves back together after today? Inside the Dancers Studio Lunchtime Talk Series is supported by NCC Akron, the University of Akron, the University of Akron Foundation, and the Mary Schiller Myers Lecture Series in the Arts. Our podcast program is produced by Jennifer Edwards. Ellis Roven is our composer and editor. Theme music by Flaco Torres. Cover art by Mika Kraus. Special thanks to Kat Wentz and the team on the ground in Akron, Ohio. To learn more about NCC Akron, please visit us online at nccakron.org and follow us on Instagram or Facebook at NCC Akron. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we encourage you to subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform by searching for Inside the Dancers Studio. Please share with your friends and if you'd like to help get the word out, rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening and stay curious.